hey, we are in the third week of spiritual things this week, and really this week we are taking our emphasis off of not so much the battle, but we're taking our emphasis off the darker things. We've, talking, we've been talking about spiritual warfare, the battle that we find ourselves in. Last week we talked about spiritual attack and how the enemy is gunning for us and his strategy against us, but I'm starting to feel like the news, okay? When you turn on the news, it's about 19 bad things and like a little half story about something good that happened. And so today we are putting the emphasis back on the good guys. Now, I think that there is a reason why people get excited to talk about the dark side. People get excited to talk about spiritual warfare and the strategies of the enemy. I think those things can be exciting. I think they certainly feel dangerous. I think they grab our attention. But today, we want to put the focus and the emphasis where it should be, and that is the side that holds the victory. That is the side of the angels. That is the side of the Lord. That is the side of the Holy Spirit. And I'm excited to dive in with you today. And so we have 10 points this morning. And this isn't going to be like my normal 10 points. This is going to be like we have a lot of kids in here, 10 points, okay? This is going to be for all my people that are part of the ADD club. So let's go. We can move through this. It's going to be great. We're going to start with angels. And we got two points on these bad boys. Maybe bad girls, I'm not really sure. But angels. Angels were created by God in the beginning to serve and worship him. We see this as Paul writes to the church in Colossae in Colossians 1.16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Visible being us, invisible being the unseen realm. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So created by God in the beginning and then to serve and worship God. Revelation 5, 11 through 12. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Powerful worship. Angels also minister to and protect us. Now they were created by God, for God, and another part of their responsibility is they minister to and they protect us. Hebrews 1, 14, we see... Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And so as believers, as followers of Jesus, angels minister to us. Psalm 91, 11, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. That means that we are guarded. We are protected. Now, we've been talking a lot about the dark side, and now we're talking about the, the angels, which are the good side. So all my kids in the house, and hopefully really good dads, like the best dads ever, like Marvel movies. And so, to put this in a Marvel context, we have two sides of this battle. We have the Avengers, I mean, the greatest angel ever, ever created. Um, the archangel, Captain America, I don't know if you read about him in the Bible. He's not in there. Um, we got the good guys. 
but we also have the bad guys. We have the ones that rise up against us. And so because there is the black order, that also means that there has to be the Avengers. In the spiritual realm, there are, there are demons, there are enemies, there are authorities that seek to attack us, but we are also protected and fought for in the spiritual realm. So have no fear. The Avengers have assembled and they are here. So that was our two points on angels. All right, we got eight more points on the Holy Spirit this morning. Everybody ready? All my kids in the house, are you ready? Man, it gets quieter and quieter. Thank you so much, Adam. The biggest kid at Asante Church. Our focus this morning is on something and someone far more powerful than the angels, and that is the person of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be looking at some scripture this morning that takes place the night before Jesus is hung on the cross. This is Jesus saying a lot of really cool, a lot of really uh, just opening up his plan, what he's going to be doing. He's revealing so much to the disciples. He's going to say a lot of cool and crazy things, but really everything that he is saying to the disciples is going to be overshadowed by the fact that he also says, I am leaving you. These last three years that we've had where you've seen my ministry, you've seen awesome things take place, I am actually going to be with the Father. But one of the awesome things that he's about to say is that the Helper is going to come, and this will actually be better for you. But these guys get lost. Think about somebody that you love dearly, that you spent the last three years of your life with almost every waking second. Think of somebody that you've suffered with, and now all of a sudden they're saying, I'm actually going to go be with the Father. I'm, I'm actually leaving you here. Now, that's where all of your focus, all of your attention is going to go. But Jesus reveals some really cool things within John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And that is capital H. I will give you another capital H helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you in Jesus, and he will be in you once Jesus ascends. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So what is taking place here? Jesus is saying that I will be leaving, but I am going to send you a helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. You see, verse 16, Jesus knew that his time was coming. See, there's a downside to this fully God but fully man part of his ministry. That meant that the Holy Spirit could only be within Jesus. He and he alone had the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus is saying is if I leave now it's not just me that can do these miracles and me telling you to go do these miracles in my authority. Now you have the power that has been within me. So Jesus is, he's done the math. Jesus sees that this is very limited if I stay here. But I wasn't called to stay here. See, I was called to go back up to heaven. I was called to die on the cross. I was called on the third day to rise from the dead, having victory over sin, victory over death, victory over the enemy. And then 40 days after that, I will ascend. And then the Holy Spirit is going to come down. And the things you've seen in me now, 
that same power is within you. And in verse 18, Jesus states very clearly that he has the disciples, and in turn, he has us taken care of. He says, you are not an orphan. I have not left you alone, but I will be with you in the power and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus and the Father will make their home in us, in the Holy Spirit. This is what he's trying to explain to his disciples. I don't know where you are in life. I don't know your past. I don't know your hurts. I don't know your valleys. I don't know your defeats. But I do know that there's probably a point in your life where you have felt like, God, where are you? And I want you to know that God has not left you an orphan. In the midst of whatever it was, whatever it was that caused that pain, whatever it was that caused that hurt, Jesus was with you in the valley, and Jesus will be with you at the peak. And when you put your trust in Jesus and the Spirit comes and dwells inside of you, the presence of God is with you forever. We only need to make ourselves aware and alert to Him. You are not an orphan. If that is something you believe about yourself this morning, throw it in the trash can. It is not true. In Jesus, we are sons, we are daughters, we have been cleaned, we have been restored, and we have been made new. So, the classic Arnold Schwarzenegger line from Kindergarten Cop, who is your daddy and what does he do? I think we have to ask that same question about the Holy Spirit. Who is the helper and what does he do? I'm not doing, I'm not doing the impersonation. It would be horrendous. You would never get it out of your head. The Holy Spirit. He is the third part of the Holy Trinity. He is a co-equal with God the Father, God the Son, that is Jesus, and he is of the same essence. He is distinct from them, and he has his own responsibilities, and he is personal. Right? If you think about the Holy Spirit, it depends on what denominational background you come from, but I know for me, growing up in a pretty traditional Baptist church and then going to a non-denominational church, the Holy Spirit was just treated like that weird uncle at Thanksgiving that had a drinking problem, okay? Like, you just don't really talk to that guy. He's a loose cannon. You don't really know what he's going to do, what he's going to say, what he's going to make other people do, what he's going to make them say. You probably won't be able to understand it anyway. It doesn't matter unless there's an interpreter there. I don't know. The Holy Spirit was weird, but you can also come from a background where the Holy Spirit gets all the focus, all of the attention, and the job of the Holy Spirit is to put all the focus, all the attention on Jesus. And so today, with all of our kids in here, I just hope that we set a good, healthy baseline of the Holy Spirit and who he is and what he does. He's not some kooky person in the corner that God and Jesus are kind of afraid of or that we should be, but he is a part of our lives. And he wants to be a part of our lives. And God has given him to us to be a part of our lives. And so, he is the helper. How does the helper help us? First point of the next six. He convicts our sin. John 16, 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Through something called regeneration, the Holy Spirit starts to reveal the truth of God to you. And there is a point for all of you in here who are believers now where he started to call you slowly, kind of revealing to you the sin in your life, starting to convict you of it. And now conviction and guilt, those are two different things. 
God uses conviction to bring us into his presence and into repentance. Guilt causes us to feel shame and run away from God. Conviction causes us to run to God. And so the Holy Spirit uses conviction of the sin in our lives to lead us towards repentance through the truth of the gospel so that when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive a Savior and we receive eternal life. He convicts of sin. Number two, he seals us. Ephesians 1, 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This ensures the security of the salvation of the believer until the day of redemption. That is a really sweet title to say, until Jesus returns, we are sealed in the Holy Spirit. This is the stamp of authenticity. If you're a collector in here, if you know a collector, you know that there's the genuine article, the real deal, and then there is the counterfeit, the stamp of uh, authenticity that is given to us in the Holy Spirit is the sign of a believer. When you put your faith in him, as we'll see here in a little bit, he comes to live inside of us, which means the lack of the Holy Spirit is the mark of someone that is unsaved. Now, this is a divine seal, and this divine seal cannot be broken. So if you truly believe, if you have repented of your sins, put your faith in Jesus, then your salvation is not something that can be taken away from you. God would not break his own seal. The devil cannot break God's seal, and we would not want to break our own seal. And so we are secure in our salvation in him. It won't be taken away, no matter how good or bad you are. So if I'm sealed and if I'm forever saved, does that mean that I can still sin? I think I know enough Christians. I think you know enough Christians to know the answer to that one. Yeah, we absolutely can sin. And when we do sin, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And then again, because we are convicted, it should bring us to repentance. But I think a lot of times the enemy uses what we think should be or is conviction and spins it as guilt. And then we run away from God, not to God. So you can sin even while the Holy Spirit is within you. You do it enough and you'll start to lose sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You'll start to lose what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do in your life. You start to quench the flame of the Holy Spirit inside of you instead of running to repentance, which stokes the flame of the Holy Spirit inside of us. If we continue to live in sin, I can guarantee that your life will be miserable if you are truly a follower and a believer in Jesus. You will be denied blessing after blessing. The goodness, the sweetness of life in Jesus will not be revealed to you because you have not been faithful with what God has given you and you have not been obedient in your life with him. And so, yes, you can still sin. Run from sin. To repent is to ask for forgiveness, to turn 180 degrees and run as fast as you can in the opposite direction. Keep running from sin. Number three, the Holy Spirit, he lives in us. Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me? Yeah, it does. 
in the power that raised Jesus from the dead, if you put your faith in Jesus, also lives in you. I don't care if you gave your life to Jesus two seconds ago or if you've been walking in Jesus for 20 years. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you in the Holy Spirit. I think that changes some things. I think we could look at our lives and ask the question, am I living a life like the power that rose Jesus from the dead is inside of me? If I'm answering that honestly, the answer is no. Are you kidding me? Death was defeated and that power is inside of me? I think I need to take this thing more serious. I think I need to look at my life. I think I need to listen a little bit better to what the Holy Spirit is leading me into. The old, uh, the old Irish, no, the old Scottish uh, scholars and theologians, they called the Holy Spirit the wild goose. And they said, if you're living life in the Holy Spirit, that you're chasing the wild goose. And I think a lot of us are afraid to chase the wild goose. I don't know about you, but I've tried to catch a lot of geese in my day. Uh, my brother, we, we, were trying, we were on a family vacation once, and he, ac- he actually touched a goose while he was chasing it. I was a little bit bigger, a little bit slower in a lot of ways. And so I did not catch a goose. But I think about following the Holy Spirit. And I think it can be intimidating, but the power of the Holy Spirit is within us. Keep chasing after the wild goose. Number four, the Holy Spirit, he teaches and he reminds us. He teaches and he reminds us. John 14, 26, to kind of follow up on our main scripture earlier, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, this means that he is illuminating God's word in our life. As we spend time in God's word, reading the Bible, he is helping us interpret it. He is helping us translate it. And he understands it because he is the one that originally inspired it. You see, you can look back to the Old Testament. You can see all the things that the Holy Spirit was doing in the Old Testament. Back then, he was limited to indwelling one person at one time for one specific reason. A lot of that was to inspire the writing of the Old Testament, to inspire God's word. Some of that was to protect God's people. Some of that was to be in their leaders, to lead them into the promised land. The Holy Spirit, one person, one place, one time for something specific. Now, new covenant, Jesus has died. The Holy Spirit has come down. Jesus ascended. The Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. Now, the Holy Spirit is in all of us at once. The same Spirit in me that is in you. And so because of that, he can now help us to understand God's word as we read it because he is the original author through men who he chose to read it. Not only does he help us understand it, but he also helps us to teach it. How? He reveals truth to us. 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now this means, if he's going to reveal the truth to us, that we have to actually spend time in the truth. We have to sit down. We have to open the word of God. And we have to ask ourselves some questions. Well, I tried to read the Bible. I just don't quite understand it. I would say you could go two different routes. Say if you don't understand the word of God as you read it, have you actually asked God to help you as you read it? 
If you are a believer and the Holy Spirit, Spirit is within you and it is part of his job to help you understand it, have you ever said, Holy Spirit, can you help me understand this? What did this mean back then? Holy Spirit, what does this mean for me now? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I would say, still crickets. Nothing's quite clicking. Come talk to me. Come talk to Jacob. Many of our other men that are leaders in this church, we could help you find a translation that is a little bit easier to understand. If you're still reading a translation that has all the these and thous, look, that's above my reading level. I don't even go there. I read a lot of different translations to understand as best I can. And that's what it takes for me. And then the Holy Spirit uses that and he reveals truth and how I can apply it to my life. Now, he also helps us to remember the things that we have studied and learned. We see in the for the disciples, they didn't have smartphones. They didn't have Google. They had no way to look up scripture. And so it was the Holy Spirit that helped them to remember the things that Jesus taught. And this was crucial for them. And this is crucial for us because we should find ourselves in conversations talking about Jesus. We should find ourselves encouraging and sometimes lovingly, gently correcting loved ones around us. That is going to take scripture. That is going to take some recall of what Jesus has taught to us. We're not always going to be able just to whip out our phones and find whatever scripture that is, which means we have to make ourselves familiar with God's word. This is especially true if you live in Desert Oasis, all right? You won't be able to get on data because you don't have any data. We don't have any reception. Your Wi-Fi won't always work because they're probably doing construction down the street, and you might not have it for the next couple of days. So we make ourselves familiar with God's Word. Technology is great, and I think we can and should lean on it as much as we can to advance the kingdom, to advance the gospel. But it's the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. Let's not lose track that He is going to be guiding us which is the fifth thing that he does this morning. He guides us. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. That means that whatever decisions are ahead of you in life, I know we like to get real stressed out. I know we like to get really anxious about these things. This means that the Holy Spirit is here And he will be there then to help guide you in these things. When it comes to work, when it comes to home, when it comes to family, when it comes to school, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to next steps in life, when it comes to the future, he will be there to guide you. Now, warning, God's way is seldom the easy way. And usually the easy way is just a trick from the enemy that looks like it's going to be smooth, it's going to be short, it's going to get you there fastest, but that's really just because it's a cliff that drops off into destruction. If you're seeking God's guidance, if you're seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit, be ready and willing to embrace what it is going to take to keep traveling down that road. He will guide us. Number six, he will produce fruit in us. Galatians 5, through 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I want somebody to raise their hand if they don't need all of these. Every single one of us needs every single one of these. If I'm thinking just about my Saturday yesterday, I was lacking in a lot of these things. 
I was lacking in some love. I was lacking in some peace. I was for sure lacking in some patience. And that led to a major lacking in kindness, which then made me feel like there wasn't a whole lot of goodness, but maybe if I was just a little bit more faithful, then I could be a little bit more gentle. And ultimately, it all boiled down to self-control. I was a wreck of a father yesterday. And you know what I realized? It's because I hadn't submitted myself that morning to the Holy Spirit. I hadn't spent time in God's word. I hadn't said, Holy Spirit, here I am as a broken man. Here I am as a broken husband. Here I am as a broken father. And I cannot do this in my own strength. I need your strength. I need you to produce fruit in my life. Because my fruit, my grapes look like raisins. My plums look like prunes. My bananas are all brown and they're starting to get flies. I can't do this in my own strength. And so I had to say, Holy Spirit, not my love, but your love. Not my peace, but your peace. Not my gentleness, but yours. Because mine is non-existent and I am harsh without you. And you know what? As I submitted myself before the word of God, as I prayed out to the Holy Spirit, make up for the difference in my life. I was at least 20% better dad and husband after that point. And I had to keep going to him over and over throughout the day. It was just one of those days where you woke up and I was just on the wrong side of the bed. Hey, I want to be real with you because this is going to be you too. This might be you this morning. I could ask your husband. I could ask your wife. Hey, how's your spouse doing? I don't know. Don't talk to them this morning. I don't know. The Broncos did it, but the Jaguars, I don't know. It's just a little grumpy today. We need the spirit to produce fruit in us. Number seven, he gives us gifts, as we see in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. I've asked somebody if they'll come and read these next three chapters this morning. I'm kidding. <laughs> it takes forever. Some of you are like, oh, my kids are a little restless right now. I don't think that's a great idea. Look, the Holy Spirit gives incredible gifts. He puts Oprah to shame. She just gives out cars on a couple episodes a season, all right? The Holy Spirit is giving spiritual gifts out to every believer every single time they give their lives to Jesus. This doesn't mean that we all have the same gifts. It doesn't mean that one of us has all the gifts and one of us has none of the gifts. No, we are different in the Holy Spirit for the purpose of glorifying God, being obedient to Him, and pursuing His purposes and His will in our lives. This first one I definitely don't have, and that is the gift of administration, the ability to organize information, to coordinate people, to ensure the church's kingdom efforts go smoothly. Thank goodness I get by with a little help from my friends. There's also apostleship, pioneering new kingdom things in places with and without Jesus, things like going on mission things like planting churches. There is discernment, the ability to tell if something is from God or not. These people make great mentors because they cut through all of your nonsense. There is the spiritual gift of evangelism, right? We're all called to share our faith as Christians. These people are just better at it. They share the gospel. Hundreds of people give their lives to Jesus. We share the gospel. If you don't have this gift, maybe every six weeks, we don't know, but God uses them in a special, different way. There's the gift of encouragement, uplifting and motivating others, gently challenging them to make next steps in the faith. And then there is faith. And this is 100% my wife right here, an expectation that God is going to do things that will be miraculous, that will absolutely blow us out of the water. And then when it happens, not being surprised about it. 
Now I'm over here surprised, like, oh, snap, you see what God did right there? You see him over here? She's like, yeah, that's what we prayed for, silly. Okay? That's close. I almost didn't say silly. (laughs) Then there is our favorite spiritual gift, and that is the spiritual gift of giving. The love to share and live generously. As you receive from the Lord, staying open-handed so that we can give it out to others, there are sowers in the faith and there are goers in the faith and sometimes we can be both but for those that can't go what I've seen a lot of times is they make up for that and their financial blessing of sowing seeds of faith to see God use it to advance the gospel then there is helping the ability to see a need and meet a need this church plant is filled with people with the spiritual gift of helping and it would not happen without you there's a spiritual gift of knowledge Somebody who loves to study the scripture, who just complex spiritual ideas and scriptural concepts, it just comes easy. These people are also masters of their crafts, experts in their field. There's a spiritual gift of leadership, this care for God's people to develop them, to cast vision to them. There's a spiritual gift of mercy. We have a lot of this in our church, and this is being put to the test right now because of certain situations that are going on in the church. And let me tell you that any time mercy and compassion is needed in the people of Asante Church. You people step up to the plate and you knock that ball out of the park and it is a grand slam that the Lord uses every time. The gift of mercy. People that are compelled to help relieve suffering. People that are compassionate towards those that are hurting. And then there's the gift of pastoring. And at least one of our pastors has this. And that is being called to tend to the spiritual health of the local church to teach and guide and protect and lead believers and in their service. And I know for sure we have this, the ability to work and work well with quality as if you are working for the Lord. Whatever the task is, we are up to it no matter what. The gift of teaching, to instruct, explain, and train in God's word very effectively. And then finally, the gift of wisdom, a vast experience and understanding with a biblical perspective. And these are the people you go to when you need guidance and you trust that the Holy Spirit is speaking into your life and is speaking into theirs as you go to them. That these are gifts that belong to the Holy Spirit. These are not gifts that we should fabricate ourselves because we want to feel like we've got some kind of superpower in Jesus. These are given to us by the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit alone. And Jesus warns against this. In John 14, 15, and 16, as he is telling the disciples, hey, guys, I'm about to be out of here, but there's some things that are about to go down and you need to be ready for them. He warns against this in John 15, 5, where he says, I'm the branch, or I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do what? nothing. So stop trying. Stop trying to live a life that is meant to be lived in the spirit out of your own strength because you will always only ever burn out and be toast. We were given the spirit so that we could, so that he could produce spiritual fruit in us. We were given the spirit so that he would bless us with spiritual gifts that we can use and operate out of. We don't need to fake that. That will come naturally if we are laying ourselves down to him because our final point, whew, we made it. Number eight, he empowers us. 
Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This means that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do everything that God has called us to do and to be his witnesses for the good news of Jesus, to see the lost found and allow Jesus to do that through our lives here, there, and everywhere. So my question is, are we living lives that have been submitted to Jesus? We will only ever receive the same amount of the Holy Spirit that we already have. I've heard some people say, God, just give me more of the Holy Spirit. God, just give me more of the Holy Spirit. God, I'm praying for more of the Holy Spirit so I can see you do this. Or I'm praying for more of the Holy Spirit so this outcome will happen. When you gave your life to Jesus, you got all the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to get. You know what changes? is how much of yourself you decide to give to the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, how much of your life have you actually submitted over to the Holy Spirit? Remember, you can quench the flame of the Holy Spirit inside of you, or you can stoke the flame of the Holy Spirit inside of you when you are obedient to God's will. We can't accomplish God's will without God's Spirit. Let's continue to lay our lives down Morning after morning, lunch break after lunch break, well, pre-dinner snack after pre-dinner snack. We need more of the Holy Spirit. We need it constant and consistent in, in our lives. Holy Spirit, we need more of you if we're going to be the people that God has called us to be. If we're going to be the sons, the daughters that God's called us to be, we need the Holy Spirit, the husbands, the wives, the mothers, the fathers, the grandparents, the nieces, the nephews, the aunts, the uncles. We need the Holy Spirit. Let's continue to lay our lives down over to him so that he can operate more out of us, that he would receive more of us. We can't have a monopoly on him, but he can have a monopoly on us. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the gift of the helper. You could have stuck around. You could have said, you know what, I'm going to continue this path. I'm going to continue down this route, and the Holy Spirit is just going to be in me. But Jesus, you took the cross. And in taking the cross, you experienced death. And on the third day, you were brought back to life. And Jesus, you stuck to your promise and sending down the Holy Spirit to be our great helper. Help us to live more in the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we submit our lives to you. We want to see something big happen, not just in our lives, but in our families, in our homes, in this community. We know that you have called us to these places for such a time as this, and Jesus, we are here as a church saying, here we are, use us. Here I am, use me exactly where you have me. And we know that that does not happen without us operating out of the power of the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, here we are. Take more of us. Use us. Produce your fruit in us. Help us to use the gifts that you have given and empower us to be bold witnesses for Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.